Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Today on the show, we have old friend MPW's Chase Parham. We talked a little bit about the Ole Miss basketball team, the year they're having, the environment on Tuesday night and leading into the weekend. Chase becoming a story last week with a story about raw data and numbers. A little bit golf, go, a little bit of golf, and a whole lot more. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy this podcast. Before we get to that, though, I want to take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have a reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves in having the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry-low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and the Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new two gigabit and eight gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today to use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, at checkout for one month of free service. That's right. Just for listening to this podcast, Podcast, you get one month of free service when signing up for Seaspire. Check them out. Seaspire, customer inspired. This podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. College basketball season's heating up. NFL's winding down. If you're trying to make a little money, make a little extra cash in your pocket, you need to go with Skybox. Their bread and butter is and has always been college basketball. I've been saying it on this podcast for years at this point. Let me lend you inside a little bit of Skybox's year-long college basketball action this so far this year. They're up 24 and a half units on overs on the year. They're up 0.027 units on unders, plus 19 and a half units on against the spreads and are up a total of 39 units on the year with the $100 better per unit. You're up almost $4,000. That'd be $3,908 on the season. Don't you wish you had that? Well, you probably didn't sign up for Skybox. Check them out today. You'll find the picks package that fits your price range. Get familiar with Skybox before March Madness. Let them help you make some money on the end of the NFL season and so much more. They're the best sports handicapping site in the business. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. The stats speak for themselves. And if you go online and find a picks package today and use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, you'll get 20% off any package. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. All right, here's Chase. All right, we now welcome on Rebel Grove's Chase Parham, noted basketball beat writer. Appreciate you joining the show. Um, I don't know where we'll start. I figure we just kind of shoot the shit, for the lack of a better phrase, for a few minutes to kind of fill up some content on a Friday or Saturday whenever this gets posted. A lot going on at the Rebel Grove site. Neil wrote a wonderful story on Kyle Wakefield, the uh, manager, mop guy, who uh, from our vantage point, you have season tickets down in the fancy people seats. I'm a little bit higher <laughs> up, but he is on our end of the floor, and I've taken MC to a lot of these games, and she's like, I love this guy. It is energy. She's also a behavioral therapist that diagnoses autism uh, mostly, right. um, and she didn't know that until I told her last night after we hung up the phone. We were talking for a little bit. Um, I really enjoyed Neil's story. What did you kind of make of that whole thing? Um, were you at the press conference? Why was he at the press conference? Can you, I guess we'll start there. Yeah. So here's a little background on, on Kyle is I met him. 
in just journalism circles, class circles, maybe a year or two ago, I don't know, something like that. And, you know, he, he's a kid. And I think the point, I, I guess I'm, I'm rambling a little bit. My point is I've known him for a while and I've known parts of his story and he's charismatic. He's infectious. He's everything that you're reading and you're seeing and all these different things. It's just a kid that finds so much good and quality in life and, and, and has a great time with life to a point that we all can kind of learn something from him, you know, and he, he he got his notoriety on Tuesday night. I mean, the, the Pavilion crowd has been aware of him for, for years. I mean, he came in under Kermit as a student manager and now has continued under Beard. But uh, somebody had spilled a drink uh, courtside on Tuesday night, and he tried to use his mop, needed more, grabbed the towel, whatever it was, and he's doing his normal frenetic, you know, pump the crowd up self. And it just sort of took off. It went viral. The SC Network had him uh, kind of – shown there at the end maybe their post game show whatever it was once the Ole Miss Mississippi State game was over and Beard opened his press conference by saying that essentially there had been a bunch of requests for his time or media request or whatever so to to make it simple they were just going to bring him to the press conference and and he spoke and you know I had been I had not taken it as swiftly as I wanted to. Frankly I had been thinking hey I need to write this kid's story. I knew I, I knew parts of thing. it I, I knew that his mother is, for lack of a better word, a hero, somebody who fought for his education, fought for him. Again, if you haven't read the story, read it. I mean, it, it is just a phenomenal story of perseverance and parental love and all those different things. And I knew just enough about it to be dangerous. And I'm really thankful that it got written, that Neil handled that yesterday and did it because I'll be honest, and this comes from somebody who has a child with low-level autism, is that when he first had the press conference and frankly, and I'm not criticizing anybody, I understand the nature of the, of the business that we're in right now and, and that people rush to get things out quickly, but I was fearful of stories that made him look like a mascot. Does that yeah. make sense? Where yeah, it's, absolutely. this is just this kid with a mop and that's all he is. And he's ranking up the crowd. And I went, no, this is, this is much bigger than that. This is much deeper than that. This is a kid who was nonverbal until he was five years old that is majoring in journalism and has excelled to the point he believes he has a future in sports communication. I mean, that is that is phenomenal to a level that is really hard to explain. So, you know, look, I, I am glad he's getting notoriety. I'm, gra I'm glad that that his, his name and his face and his, you know, look, I hope it leads to opportunities. I hope he's on Marty and McGee on Saturday and does a hell of a job, and that leads to something for him in the profession one day. Um, but what I'm most thankful for is that we're seeing the full side of him, the human side, the fact that, the School of Journalism loves him, that he's been a phenomenal student, and that, that he's just so much more than the kid you see that pumps up the crowd with a mop during basketball games. Yeah, that's well said, too, and I, I'm glad his story's getting told as well. And I, again, until you told me that last night and I ended up reading Neil's story, I didn't know anything about that with regarding him being on the autism spectrum or really anything about his background. I just wanted to do a story on the dude who just seemed like to have more energy than the rest of the world, mopping up <laughs> stuff at, at the basketball games. And it was one of those things where like, you piddle around and then like obviously he blows up and it's like, all right, I guess this story's been told. And Neil did it, uh, an incredible job with it. One of the things I enjoyed about it too, and whether it's from like the brief interactions or just kind of experience I've had from MC doing what she does um, or a couple of different areas, like there's no like, there's no dog and pony show here. One of the things I think that one of the many things I think is very cool about whether it's anyone on the spectrum or 
like how that whole thing works for the lack of a better phrase is like they get hyper focused on something they're very passionate about something and it's all genuine like there's there there is no like in this world where now we're kind of like all right is this real like is this actually a real story that type of thing like he just has a genuine passion for Ole Miss he's shown a lot of bravery to get where he is today and the the genuine nature of it to me is is very inspiring. Um, and you can hear it from when he talks or just the way he behaves on a daily basis. He could have never had any of this and would have done the job the same way. Hell, he did it for years before any of this happened. Yeah, he was pumping up the crowd on teams that sucked. Let's oh yeah, November. Here. This like, is when I, mean, I discovered this... the guy first home game. I was like, who's this dude? Because that's the deal in this. Is no, you're right. Because so often it's look, it's the environment we're in. You go, okay, what's the deal? Why? What's the catch? Why are we doing this? Or are we are we doing the 15 minutes? No, no, no. I mean, this is the most genuine. Because look, there's a deeper story here. But Kyle is accurate in what he believes when he says, "I'm just doing whatever the hell I can on the floor to help." That's it. And and, and that is straightforward. And that's honest. And that's exactly what he does every day. So now it's 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 what makes it so cool. I mean, you know, look, we. We're all the time looking for stories and to make people human and to tell what's happened. And they're robots, whether it be managers or players or whatnot. All we do is see the touchdowns and the field goals and all the stuff. So this is like that to the nth degree. I mean, yeah, it, for, for so many different reasons, I, I, I hope that, uh, you know, people continue to appreciate him, that this all continues on. I mean, hell, whenever he's done, I hope he gets, you know, um, celebrated or whatever recognized on senior night i mean you know whenever whenever that time comes i mean i hope all those things continue on i mean it just it, it is a story that absolutely needed to be told and need to be out there in the open you pinch it for uh neil who's recovering from knee surgery I hope he survives that um on, for basketball on tuesday night um at halftime i'd gone down over to where y'all were sitting to like speak or whatever just say hello ended up getting caught up with uh old pal brian haydad and robbie falk and never actually made it down to wherever the hell you were sitting but for a guy who doesn't cover a lot of basketball games i know you go to a bunch of them but you kind of had a different seat you're a little bit further out like literally and a little bit more like removed from like the down low kind of floor level action and we were talking about this last night, but it kind of brought me back to 2019. So we have the Ole Miss has this beautiful building, the pavilion. It was the first time they'd really kind of gotten things right. And we're playing like actual big games in January and February under Kermit. And there was that, whether it was the Kentucky game or the Tennessee game, I remember sitting there even at 23, 24 years old, I was like, this is pretty cool. Like they have something going on here. That felt like the first time that I could say something like that again under Beard. And I don't even know where I was going with that. It's just, it's interesting to see for a place that doesn't have a lot of basketball history, they have this pristine building. And if you put a winner in there, it's a pretty awesome environment. I, you know, I did notice the, the, the subtle changes from where I normally watch versus being higher. Um, and I'm just being honest with that. I'm not even really making a joke. It's louder. Uh, and I mean by that, when yeah. I mean music, uh, I mean crowd, I mean everything. I felt like I had a little better picture for all of it. Um, even just kind of, you know, watching the action and seeing the way it played out some. And I think that, I think fresh eyes are good. I think it helped me to know a little bit more about the team to watch from different angles and, and, and different and different things and to take in that environment because no, I, I think, you know, I was discussing it with a former player this morning, former basketball player going, Hey, this game against Auburn on Saturday, this is the most anticipated game since. And I understand that they had two tournament runs under AK with Marshall. And then uh, a couple years later with, uh, I guess Moody was who was the, the main guy on that team. Um, but I think it's a legitimate 
at least potentially a legitimate conversation to say this game against Auburn tomorrow is the most anticipated game from an excitement, uh, meaning from a regular season meaning and all those kind of things, maybe since the two, the 2001 team that went to the Sweet 16. I mean, you're, you're talking about a different level of – because, look, here's the deal. And it, it's the crazy part of college basketball and the world we're in in 2024 is that you have a couple of juxtapositions going on. You know, AK – it was get over the hump and it was celebrate and it was ride the Marshall mania and all that stuff. And then, you know, they get back two years later and that was a fun team and that was rewarding in, in different ways. But right now you're kind of watching this build and I always talk about builds being more fun than anything. Cause there's no nervousness with them. It's just fun. And it's exciting to watch everything progress in that way. But you know, with a matter of a fact that is without a doubt and 100%, if Chris Beard remains Ole Miss's head coach, they're going to be nationally competitive and they're going to win on a national level. And that has not been the case before because he is the best head coach in Ole Miss men's basketball history. And for that to be the case, I mean, it's true. And That was true before he ever coached a game. That's a point. And you know that it's right there and you're watching this thing that at least has the potential to be really special. And they're getting the payoff tomorrow. You know what? What I like about this team so much, we'll call it different things. One, they're 7-0 in games decided by five points or fewer. A lot of those were early on in the season when they just gutted it out. I mean, you got, you got to remember, Detroit Mercy had the ball in the air to beat them. Detroit Mercy is 0-22 on the season unless they won a game in the last 48 hours. That was a game. Yes. I mean, ball was in the air multiple times that would have given them a loss. They fought through that. They've gotten better. They've taken on Beard's identity. And, you know, he talks about culture all the time and all these things. And what is cool and what we haven't seen at Tad Smith maybe a little bit in that AK era where it was rolling, but really since Rod Barnes and that 01 team and the Tad Pad is the basketball team winning the game to get to the game. You know what I mean? They, and they've done that several times this year. They routed NC State, and then they got the huge payoff and the huge crowd against Memphis, and everybody's locked in, and everybody's ready to go. And then this past week, they find a way, and they got out a win in College Station, and they beat A&M, and then they get to this homestand, and they find a way to beat Mississippi State. Because, look – the fact that they were tied at halftime was a miracle on Saturday, on Tuesday night. Mississippi State outplayed them in the first half. They had a seven-point lead with a ball in the air multiple times to get it to 10, and it didn't get there, and Ole Miss battled back, and Murray hits the three at the buzzer. And now you get this payoff, and look, there's going to be a huge Auburn contingent, too, on Saturday, okay? I mean, this is going to be kind of a crazy crowd. Auburn is becoming kind of Kentucky light with buying up road game tickets, so there's going to be a lot of Tigers in the building. But overall, that's a hard sellout on a Saturday. It's Ole Miss trying to get to 6-3 and three in the SEC. And it's watching Chris Beard do work where, you know, you're, you're getting the best of all worlds. You're getting the new and exciting and the beard and somebody you trust. But you're also getting what we don't always get in today's world of college athletics, which is the 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 resurgence or the reward for a player who struggled earlier in their career and now is succeeding. You're getting that baseball type vibe out of Jamin Brakefield and Matthew Morrell where fans have watched them go through all the shit and now it's working out and they're getting to celebrate a winning team. It's it's sort of every component, you know, that, that can come into this season to make it pretty special and pretty cool and something to watch. And, you know, as we'll talk about in the coming weeks, it becomes then a matter of just making sure that Chris Beard stays your head coach. 
Absolutely. And I think you're dead on with that when you talk about like, is what, where does this rank in terms of the most anticipated games? And I don't want to date this conversation because as we record this late on a Friday, I know we both have places to be after we get Even home. if they lose on Saturday, yeah, exactly. night, it remains the case. That, that's, that's the thing about tomorrow. It's not a free shot, but if you lose, you're fine. You're okay. It's not a must win tomorrow. And like, I don't even know if this is pushback, but the only like, I, again, or a counter argument, but the Kermit's first year, when they played Kentucky and Tennessee at home, I think those were both weeknight games. I'm not sure if they were back-to-back weeks in late February. That was like a free shot, and it's like if they win this, they've cemented their ticket to the tournament. They still had Tennessee might be the answer as much as I keep wanting to go back. That Tennessee crowd was ravenous. Like that was the game where Ole Miss kind of got the bad call late yeah, the and stuff got thrown on the floor and all that. Like that I, it, it, there's probably people yelling at their podcast machine right now. I, I would understand if you wanted to say that was the answer. But that's different. And it's not even like trying to figure out the answer to the question. What's interesting to me is like the two different uh, scenarios, because that was late for February. You could say the games were more consequential because honestly, if Ole Miss somehow pulls this off on Saturday, and again, my, many people may be listening after it happened, they're six and three. They would act honestly kind of screw up not to get to that 10 win mark and potentially make the tournament. You, you could honestly say in a light way, they might, go a long way to punch their ticket on Saturday if they were to somehow win this game. It's an important game to win because you have two very difficult road games right after this and you don't want to yes. ever lose three in a row. Exactly. And then, but what was, what made it different is I think Kermit was like all new. They were supposed to be the worst team in the conference. I don't know where Ole Miss was picked this year. I can't imagine they were much higher. But people, like Kermit was way less of a brand name than Chris Beard. Um, it was just kind of like moving on from a guy you'd had for over a decade and a half and Andy Kennedy and then it all of a sudden just kind of happened. And then the other por- portion of it, too, is like this team makes less sense as to why they're in this position. And I know he recruited well. He did an incredible job re- flipping this roster. But if you look at that 2019 Kermit team, knowing what we know now about what Brian Tyree and Terrence Davis and Devontae Shewer were as Ole Miss people or professionals or whatever you want, however you want to encapsulate it, it's like, OK, I can see how that team got to the NCAA tournament. That makes a lot of sense. This team is just kind of, I mean, you have a kid from St. Peter's who's never played point guard in his life, who's now their option at the end of games. And the, the sort of line at the beginning of the year was like, can they survive enough games without him if they don't get this guy eligible? And then you just have this random collection of parts that just kind of work. Whereas, I don't even know if this makes sense, but just in a weird way, the 2019 thing in hindsight made a little bit more sense. It's like, okay, you got a bunch of, you got three incredible guards to where this is just like, these guys just kind of find a way, even though it doesn't always look great. 19, or if that was the year we're talking about, was really interesting because Kermit was this known commodity that everybody expected to win games. And I'm not minimizing him when I say this, but win games as in make the tournament and do sort of that next step that hasn't been done, not, hey, you're trying to break a damn door down in the sport. You know what I mean? There's a different level of ceiling there. And that's not to minimize Kermit, but... You know, he had a lot of Q rating. He was very successful coming in. He had not sucked yet at Ole Miss. That tenure had not gone sideways. It was a different animal where people were really excited, but it doesn't feel like the same ceiling as what people believe is at least possible here if Beard remains in the coming years with what he's done in the past, taking Texas Tech to a national championship game and all that kind of stuff. So it no doubt feels different. And look, the counter argument to what you're saying is that Matt Morell's a top 50 prospect out of high school. Jamin Brakefield signed with Duke. Musa Cisse is a defensive All-American, a guy who led the Big 12 in defense, was the, the, the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Um, I mean, look, Jalen Murray is just a killer. Uh, it, it, it's been a 
it's been an amazing thing to kind of watch him progress and play point guard. I mean, he played Mississippi State, which is a top 15 defensive team in the country, and had 11 assists and one turnover on Tuesday night, in addition to hitting all those shots. I mean, he's been phenomenal. Um, he is never scared to take a shot. He's got a winner mentality. What Beard has done is, is very similar, even though it's on a different scale. It's very similar to what Lane did when he made the portal guys all play together and have excellent chemistry. You're seeing a lot of those same things happen with basketball where you take a lot of parts, the parts separate make sense, but can you make them make sense as a group and as a team? And and Beard has done a phenomenal job with that of putting them together and playing them in different ways. And and they can win in different ways. Um, you know, you look at it and they can be very successful with, you know, Cissé and Sharp off the floor and playing small and playing break field at the five for a little while and getting by for a few minutes and doing all those kind of things. He's he's turned them into a bit of a multifaceted team, which is what I never saw coming. I thought they'd have one way to win. And that was how you won, and that was all there was to do right there, and that was it. And that just really hasn't been the case. They, they, they've been much more multifaceted as this thing has moved forward. And it's – look, it's been cool to watch. I mean, everybody knows I'm not a huge basketball guy. People kind of make fun of it. But I've been pretty locked in. I've been – just the story of this team, the way they've come together, the way they play, the the entertainment value, It's been it's been a pretty cool watch for the last couple months. You've been around this longer than I have, but the begs the question, and you mentioned we'll talk about it in the coming weeks. Chris Beard remaining the head coach at Ole Miss. We'll see how that goes. There's still a lot of stuff to play out. Yeah, I'm so. not. I, I'm not opening Pandora's box today. So me neither, and I'm not going there either. The question I was going to ask though is just like, can Ole Miss? They're one of the worst, if not the worst, basketball job in the SEC. If you just really want to call a spade a spade, not really much history, not hi any history of funding, but you see Ole Miss packing in crowds like this on a Tuesday night, Saturday will be a sellout, that type of stuff. Beard is a gigantic brand name. It was a very precarious position Ole Miss and Beard found themselves in in a very needed but unlikely marriage at that point in their trajectories as a program and in his career. I guess what I would ask is, do you ever see a day where Ole Miss basketball gets to the point, and this is a very vague comparison, but to where like football is, to where Kiffin, like you look at Lane Kiffin, it's like, oh, does he actually have to take the Auburn job? Does he have to take these other jobs at these programs that are down? Do you ever see it getting to that point? Can this place support a winner consistently? Okay. The in a vacuum answer is yes. Okay. Okay. Now it's a little more complicated than that. Um, Ole Miss is benefiting from strong leadership that took a chance on Chris Beard hired him when most people said, hey, you can't touch that PR-wise. And they went, this is the only chance Ole Miss basketball is going to have to have a top-five national coach coach its team, so hire him and see what happens. That That's what you do when you're where Ole Miss was as a program. You go, go, hey, I have this opportunity that I get it's not perfect. Chris Beard's made it pretty damn perfect. He's been he's behaved well. There's no issue. It's fine. I mean, you know what? He can go get a pizza at Funky's. It's not a problem. Um, and it's it's been good. And Ole Miss is, 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 is reaping the rewards from – with Keith Carter and Glenn Boyce, a really strong, accurate, good decision when they hired Beard. History doesn't matter in a lot of ways. I mean, it does, but it doesn't. I mean, here's the answer. They have a great arena. They have a good practice place, and they have a great head coach. Do you have the money? Is there enough NIL available for basketball to, 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 to put a roster together that makes sense on a national level? That's the question. That will go into a lot of how long Beard is here. That will go into a lot of what they're able to do from a talent procurement standpoint, and that'll – Gauge the program as you move forward. Look, they've got John Bowl. They've got a McDonald's All-American signed right now for next season. They're moving up in that world. What I what I wonder about, and I, I, now Walker Jones might be throwing stuff at me and go, no, we're good. The only thing that I kind of wonder about is at a school this size, 
and now they're in the SEC, but still size standpoint. Can you win at the level you're talking about in football and basketball simultaneously? How is that money set, and do you have enough? So, Because when I said in a vacuum, look, if this was 2018, and nothing against Matt Luke, but let's say the football program was where it was then, well, I mean, logic tells me Chris Beard would have 50% more money in his NIL right now because everybody would be rolling with basketball. So that's my question is, can they both get what they need at the same time through NIL? And look, Ole Miss has been excellent. I mean, you've been kind of the the lead storyteller and expert in what Ole Miss has done from an NIL standpoint. But you got to give Liston and Walker and those guys credit. They're very efficient. Um, they're frugal when they need to be. They spend when they need to be. They, they, they put market caps on everybody in a lot of different ways. It's in good hands. It's just what's your total budget, what's your total revenue, and can you be can you be that level of competitive in both at the same time? Yeah, I think that's encapsulated very well. I'm curious to see how that goes. And, you know, you could say the counter to that, too. It's just like I don't know what their NIL standpoint was prior to, like, 2023 in basketball, but you've not heard Chris Beard bitch about it one time, and they keep getting dude. So, like, again, and, I don't and know. He, what... And he raises it himself. He'll go exactly. shake hands and kiss babies and go, I'll just go find the money. Talk about grassroots. That's about as grassroots as it comes. And so, like, you know, it's a thing, I guess, where it's like, does he want to continue doing that? How stressful is that on him? Can he get more support? I'm curious to see that part of it. And again, not to date this, as most people be listening either before, right before, right after Ole Miss plays Auburn on Saturday night. But it's a cool story, and I'm curious to watch how it plays out over the next six, eight weeks. Speaking of stories, um, you as a reporter um are usually telling the story you found yourself in a story in the last week and a half and just for full disclosure and i may have mentioned this on previous pods i've been running around like a chicken with my head cut off the last two weeks i went to a wedding in some very remote town in mexico then came back and had a conference for my day job point being i was not really locked in with the day-to-day old miss stuff the last couple of weeks all of a sudden i look up and it's it's chase parham and, and coach yo on twitter and i'm like what the hell is going on right now we don't have to rehash this. I'm sure y'all have done this on the the Oxford Exxon podcast to some degree, but I'll just ask it from you from like a professional standpoint. I know people like cringe at this and think it's bullshit sometimes. We think the same way. We really don't like being part of the story. Like our job is to like tell it and get the hell out of the way. I I, I would just cringe at the idea of me being somewhat of a Twitter fodder conversation with an old Miss head coach, Nightmares of Mike Bianco. What was that like for you handling it? Like what, how did that come about? How shocked were you? And how did you handle the process the last week? Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I kind of said a little bit of it on, on the OEP, but the point that, I think is it's worth repeating or even saying it a different way is that I was never upset. You know, a lot of people kept going, Hey, you're angry or y'all are doing whatever. And you know, it was never that I, I was never emotionally involved in this story beyond being somewhat confused and then trying to just figure out what to do. I, I think the biggest thing I did, I, I was aware of was more of the indecision of being shocked that we got there because look, I did what I always do. I put the numbers out. And were there caveats to the women's basketball number? Yes. But there were caveats to every one of those sports if you were digging in it on a deep level. Which is I literally was putting point. bottom you put this line out every year numbers. with the raw data. You do this every year. This yes. is not any sort of exception. That's what I told somebody is men's basketball lost money. But I didn't point out that men's basketball lost three point something million dollars. But 1.7 million of that was Kermit's severance pay. And 2.5 of that was debt pavilion as debt services on the pavilion as well, just like women's basketball. I didn't point out that football made $12 million, but really made they made a whole hell of a lot more than that because there was a $43 million SEC network revenue line that, look, we're not idiots. That was because of football, even though it was non-sports specific the way it was listed on the sheet. So 
yeah, it was never to get yo. It was never to outline women's basketball's failures or anything along those lines. And I, I think what happened, and I can't speak for her, I think she knew the number, was frustrated by it. I think she went out, played a game, thought she should have had a better crowd, was somewhat emotional about the lack of crowd after the game, and it all boiled over. I, I think that's what happened. And it's why it didn't really bother me that night. You know, I saw the quotes. I said, I think she called me guy on Twitter or whatever it was. Um, but I was kind of, okay, fine. And that's it. The next morning when she did the thing about the narrative and came at me on Twitter. Clicks. I, yeah. I spent a couple hours trying to go, okay, how do I respond here? Because you're right. I, I really, and this isn't like some sort of victim statement. I, I didn't want it to continue. I didn't really want to be part of the story. I wanted to move on because it wasn't the point of what I was trying to say or write. And I knew I need to defend myself because I'm not a complete pushover. I need to say something back. I need to respond. It's me who's not responding at that point. But I didn't want to say something that was going to be antagonistic where she continued all day and we got in this back and forth. So there was a fine line there on what to do. And that's why I, I talked to people I trust. I talked to multiple people in different areas. And I said, no, let's be honest here. Okay. Social media a lot of times is emotional. It's not full narratives. Let's talk about it. You can come on the podcast. You have an open invitation, as you always do. I've asked Coach Yo to be on the podcast before. She hasn't done it. Let's be happy to talk it out. I'll come to you because, frankly, it needs to be face-to-face. -face. It doesn't need to be over a phone or Zoom or anything. Let's talk. Um, I did not get a response. I can, you know, obviously she came back, sort of uh, reworked some of her remarks on Sunday after the Tennessee game, uh, apologized for the way that came across, said her heart was in the right place. I know she texted another reporter about it, who then, in his words, said everybody should just move on and, and be at their best uh, as we move on. Um so, look, it is what it is. Um, I, I think she doesn't appreciate the fact that we don't cover her sport day to day. Um, I'm sure that probably played a role. Again, I'm not trying to put words in her mouth, but that's my assumption from where I'm sitting. And, you know, it it, it just kind of got surreal. I was glad that it sort of stopped, that it moved on. Um, then I, then the OutKick story kind of bubbled it back up. I, I Look, I appreciate Clay Travis's publication from the standpoint of I, I have heard from some people that I had not heard from in a long time. They were like, hey, what the hell? I, got, I saw your name on Facebook. How'd you piss off the women's basketball coach? And I was like, hey, long story. It is what it is. Um, so it's cool. I mean, th this is not me saying, hey, I'm really important or anything like that. That's not, my, that's not my point of what I'm saying. If I have one thing where I'm a little like frustrated by, it's I'm obviously not guy on Twitter. I've been covering the, 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 the university for 20 years. Um you know, we have corporate partnerships with multiple parts of the university. I mean, I'm the MC for the M Club Hall of Fame. Uh, you could have asked a couple people, hey, is this dude out to get me? What is like, who is this? And we could have probably solved and, and, and settled this way in advance. So if anything, I think that's my frustration was just the immediacy of the comments instead of going, hey, what what's the target here and what are we trying to get out of it? We'll get back to Chase in just one second. But before we do, I want to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me, plus discounted meats. Right now, if you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, just go in and show Greg proof of subscription. You get three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. If it's a $40 valuation you're getting there for 20 bucks, just show him proof of subscription. He'll get you all set up. Then go find your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of meats. Go to LB's this holiday season. It will make everything in your house better people be like where the hell did you get this awesome stuff like lb's university avenue in oxford it is a crown jewel of the south a crown jewel of oxford check them out today lb's university avenue 
This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Chase. Yeah, that's exactly the issue. Because, I mean, you mentioned from Guy on Twitter to all of that, too. Like, you mentioned the other reporters saying everyone just move on. Well, that would be, that, that frames it in the standpoint of, like, you both had an issue. You just put out the same thing you put out every year, like a data point. It'd be one thing if you wrote some columns like, oh, Mr. Chop Women's Basketball immediately. Then that's like, oh, you probably deserve this. Yeah, like, if I was like Mike Bianchi or whatever his name is. This yes. Bianchi, whatever his name. Like, okay, fine. And, and I think that's been, you know, for the most part, I appreciate people not doing this. But the couple times that – Somehow it got turned into when they win a game, I'm upset or I'm against her program. Yeah, no, I was not. I was not making any reference about her program at all. I mean, it, it's cool. I mean, we pub we posted all the Sweet Sixteen stuff last year. We put the stories on the message board. We covered it. Um, so no, there's nothing about our entity or me that is against women basketball. Hell, I got my start in women's basketball at the DM, and frankly, even in high school. I mean, I my first beat for the DM was women's basketball. Um, I was their I was their beat writer for a year before I was sports editor. So, well, holy irony! You handed it a lot better than I would have. I would have probably put out a like a flow chart that said, "Here's what we make off subscriptions, and here's what we make off clicks." And the clicks would have been zero dollars. But like, thanks for your input. But yeah, again, you never want to be like part of it. That would have, like being in your position that would have just made me cringe of like being the subject of conversation in that way. And it's like a no win battle. So you handled it well, but it was it was very humorous. And hopefully, at the end of the day, people will look back and just kind of laugh at that how that whole thing happened. Last couple of things before we get out of here. I was reading on the way home, as I said, in traffic, which I never thought would be a statement in Oxford, Mississippi, that we now have an advisory committee between the Big Ten and the SEC to uh, better or further the future of college sports. Again, I haven't read in as much to it as I probably should, but to me, on the surface, I'm sure you saw this this morning. I don't know if y'all discussed this. I don't know if y'all did a pod today. This seems like the first step to this whole Super League next generation of college sports, the NCAA on the back burner. I thought this was significant news, even if they didn't tell us anything about what the hell this is and what they're going to do. At the bare minimum, it is saying we are making the decisions and everybody else is long for the ride at this point when it comes to college football and major college athletics. What I think that they refuse to say but is true is that this is the first step toward a breakaway. And but how does that we're work? going – when you say that, though, like we make the decisions, how do you swat the NCAA away? How do you just render any penalties they have? No, well, I mean, I mean, I mean, look, college football, the college football playoff is technically not an NCAA championship. Right. They run their own playoff already. Um, the, the question is, if you break away, what happens to everything else? That's what nobody knows. And I don't know. And I, look, I talked to Boyce about this today. Podcast up at MPW Digital. Um Revenue sharing doesn't work because you saw the books just like I did. If you're doing revenue sharing, how do you pay the sports that don't have revenue? Because it has to be net revenue, not gross revenue. 
So what are you even doing? Um, we're, we're, we're at a tipping point right now that I, I'm trying not to make any hyperbolic statements because I think we're six to nine months away from really knowing what the hell's going on and having a clear answer to where anything we say right now is kind of talking out both sides of our mouth. But if somebody looked down and said, hey, football and men's basketball are going to be profit sports with some sort of revenue sharing and they are operated on a different plane than everything else, and then certain schools choose to fund other sports at their own discretion. And everything else is some level of maybe not club sports the way we know it, but university sponsored sports yes, that have much way, higher yeah. have higher revenue standards. That would not shock me, frankly, if you said that was the case by 2035. I don't know a year, pick a year. But we're just in a pivotal spot because Congress is potentially involved. The SEC and the Big Ten are potentially involved. Everybody kind of has something they're trying to get out of this. But nobody's stopping to look at the middle and going, how do we make this work for everybody? Because we've gone from the players having no rights to the players having basically all the damn rights. I was going to say too many. I'll say it. There has to be a balance. Well, yeah, it, no, that's the problem. That because they're asking for things that simply are not functional as a business. And if athletics and athletic departments ever in their right minds get to the point to where they decide to operate as a business, everything is over but two sports and maybe three. So no, that the answer is that I think this is simply a setup, putting the very baseline plan in in case things go to hell or frankly, moving them in a direction that's more advantageous because they no longer can have the NCAA operate on these things. Because look, every school is in the crosshairs right now. Sure, Tennessee is the one being investigated. Florida State's being investigated. But every collective in the country is doing some semblance of what those two schools were doing. And the NCAA is just taking darts and throwing them and deciding who they want to try to go after and punish right now. So what the NCAA is doing, sure, you can laugh at Tennessee being investigated. You can laugh at Florida State being investigated. They're declaring war on the entire NIL process and, frankly, all of major college football right now. Yeah, Ole Miss walked in the 20 teens so these people could run. Um, the crazy part about that too, is, is like, that's kind of what I was getting at the beginning where I asked like a question that I know we both can't answer college football, the playoffs, not an NCAA sanctioned thing. Right. But yet there's somehow this governing arm who actually did administer penalties against Florida state initially. And they're going to do it against Tennessee. Like how, how do you, I guess my point would be, how do you get to the point where it's like the NCAA is like, says we're docs 12 scholarships over three years. How do you get to the point where it's like, no, actually we're not. We're just going to continue to give this scholarships. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm curious how it gets to that point. Our guy, Wes Rucker, our favorite, favorite friend of the pod had a nuclear take the other day. Sorry, where he said, never pretended to be a lawyer, but the sense I get in reading people in this industry is that Tennessee's mad, not scared. I'm like, what, what does that mean? Who is that for? What does that have to do with anything? Like the fact that Tennessee's administration seems pissed off and not scared. I'm supposed to feel better about their chances. Like that's not how this works. I could walk into a kangaroo court pissed off or I could walk there pissing my pants. Wouldn't change the outcome. I didn't understand that part of it. But like that's the, that's the thing that's curious to me. Do you get to the point where the NCAA handles out a penalty and then one school is like, yeah, actually, we're just not going to do this. This kid's going to be on scholarship. Like, how does that work? Have you thought about that at all? I don't know. I mean, because that's the thing is the NCAA is going to look at it and go, hey, y'all are all voluntary members. You you told us to make the rules. And look, they have a freaking point in a way, too. Like, do. I don't like I don't like protecting them. But the freaking presidents at all these schools, or not all of them, but some schools go, hey, we don't want pay for play. you got to go punish people. And then they go punish people, and the athletic departments are going, what the hell? Everybody's doing this. And it's like your own school told them to do that. So that's the key here is 
what it's going to take, and see, maybe this is the point. Maybe this is where the SEC and the Big Ten are getting together and going, hey, we have the strongest leaders. We have the schools that understand how big, how much sports matter to our entire ecosystem from enrollment all the way down. We've got to quit. We got to cut the crap. We got to quit doing the, hey, this is a bunch of amateurs and we want you to punish and we want to do all this stuff and operate like it's the 1980s. And you go, hey, let's all get in a room and let's figure out the workable way to get out of this, to separate, to protect our other sports to the best way we can, and to just run the freaking sport of college football and the business of college football the way it should be run. So I think that's it. I th- maybe it's not imminent, but getting this set of people together is the start of that because it's everybody who actually has a high stake in what we're trying to accomplish here. This is a very vague and 10,000 foot view statement. This probably puts some finality on this. When we talked about well, how do you get to that point where the NCAA renders the penalty and you're like, actually, no, we're just not going to do that. The thing, the biggest thing these colleges have on their side is the uh, United States court of law. Not a big fan of the NCAA. I mean, they lost a Supreme court ruling that allegedly from what I understood, they thought they were going to win. They lost it nine, nothing hard to lose worse than that. There's only nine Supreme court justices. Mm-hmm. If it does get to that point, I don't know how it would get there. My just default instinct is you're fighting over something, sue, go to court. Let's just say Tennessee gets hammered. It's like show cause, blah, 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 tons of scholarships, postseason ban. Like, and they don't abide by it. Like the NCAA can't be like, well, we're going to take you to court because they would lose in a heartbeat. And that may be the ultimate thing that they have on their side is like the United States Court of Law. Like, no, we're siding with these universities. Like that that to me would be that last hammer. Well, and it has to be the other universities that side with them that go, no, we're, we're fine with them playing that player. We're exactly. fine. We're, we're, we're cool. All good. Maybe it gets to that point. I'm very fascinated by it. It, it. You mentioned we're six to nine months away from being a real thing. I'm curious. Last thing, uh, Anthony Kim, rumored golf comeback, kind of the uh, white whale or the uh, mis- mystical creature in the golf world. We'd send each other a couple links back and forth. When I sent you one the other night, you're like, you think he goes to PJ Tour to live? I'm like, this guy's going to live. You get a bag. And you don't have to do anything. This guy's going to want to be, work on a major medical exemption on the PGA Tour. What are you making this whole live thing as they now get more guys? I'm now in the firmly in the camp of just live is winning, and I don't know where this settles out because this sucks. I, I have never been more impressed by live because if you said, think about this. I mean, look, and, all, and only true golf fans are really going to understand what we're even talking about here, but – if you said, hey, what's going to make you watch above all else? It's not Tiger Woods. It's Anthony Kim. Oh, hell this yeah. Has been the, this has been the thing forever of going, oh, my God, is he playing? Is he not? Why? Insurance policy? Got dealing with the mafia? I mean, you've read stories and stories and stories of all these different things that could be happening. And now it's like, nope, he's debuting right here on Live, and he's doing it in whatever. I mean, I... I need a documentary series on like when Liv approached him, how it got to this point. I'll watch hours of this to explain to me why a dude that never did this forever for whatever reasons he did and just vanished off the entire earth. Because this isn't just not playing golf. You couldn't find this cat. He literally just disappeared for the most part. He would play in like high-level poker games under like aliases in Dallas. Like he was literally a ghost. So for him to get there to go and nope, I'm going to join Liv and I'm going to do this. Maybe they just threw this huge bag at him, as you said. But I mean, it is it is the most. I think this is fair, and because I can't think of other sports that have anything similar, it's the biggest sort of heel turn or shocking development in a sport in a decade. Because nobody thought Anthony Kim was ever coming back, and they definitely didn't think he was going to come back to sort of like this anti-organization that's swiping all the players with money and all this stuff, and 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 have what I mean, their TV contract still on the what the CW? Yeah, whatever the hell that is. It's like shows 
live golf and Dawson's Creek. I mean, like, so I don't know. I, I, I I'm impressed and I'm scared because I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, in all seriousness for a minute as a golf fan, I'm a pretty addicted golf fan for a while now. We have a fantasy league that man that I've been really active in for years that is a money league. And I forgot to put players in last week. I literally oh. just forgot. Cause I, I've been so out of golf to where I haven't watched. And it's because of this. It's because of the way that things have gone. They're not all on one league. They've lost talent. I don't know some of the new guys and the young players as well as I do the other. And I just, I just lost interest. I mean, I put guys in this week because I was like, oh shit, Pebble Beach. Okay. But it just never even registered for me last week. I haven't watched a full round of coverage this year. And I like to follow the people that we know, the local people on shot link, but like, it's not like they're showing them on TV anyway, for the most part. And like, it's, it's a tough place for golf, but you're right on the AK part. Cause it's like, again, the most believable version of the story is Anthony Kim had a bunch of injuries and he had an insurance policy. Well, if you had a $25 million insurance policy and the Saudis were like, here's 80 for doing nothing. All you have to do is show up. That sure. would negate the insurance policy immediately. But you're right in that sense. They were looking for, Look, I, I I stopped doing the whole whatever golf will be fine without them with the Rom thing. Like Rom and Cam Smith and all those guys not being the PGA Tour, this sucks. But if they got no one and then only got Anthony Kim, I might watch Live. Like that is like the the mythical like sign this guy bump that you thought you might get with Tiger. That's the only comparable one. If they got no one else and they got him, I think I watch. No doubt. I, if you pair him with Tyrrell Hatton and whoever else that first day, I'm all in. I will watch that all day over JT and Spieth and whoever the hell they pair with them wherever they are that week. And they're hitting the PJ Tour where it hurts. They just uh, did you read that thing about Google where you can now watch any shot on live anytime and the PJ Tour mm-hmm. is like, hey, if you're not in the afternoon wave, tough shit, pal. Like I, I, I they're they're getting it right where they got it wrong. So I don't know. I feel like I had nine different versions of this conversation, but uh it'd be an interesting year in professional golf. I know we both got to get out of here. I appreciate the time. Uh, a lot of stuff coming up on the site. Got some spring football stuff. Going to be a uh, – I wouldn't call this an offseason. This feels a little more exciting, right? Baseball starts in uh, actually two weeks. Two weeks of the day in Hawaii. 1035 Central first pitch, Rippy. Uh, that's going to be tough for me. What are you going to do? I, I'm going to watch because I have to, but it's going to it's gonna be a tough weekend. Yeah, ten, we're, we're going to be watching baseball at 2 a.m. is what's coming up in two weeks. Can't wait. He is Chase Parham. I appreciate the time, man. We'll talk to you soon. Later. All right. That's going to do it for our show today. Thanks for listening to this podcast. As always, we'll have Bracken on Sunday and a couple more podcasts lined up for next week. So thanks for listening. As always, we'll talk to you again here real soon.